Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination. And with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geek programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Hey, this is Neil Harbison from the Cyborg Foundation, and I'm listening to the Nerdy Show, and I'm also listening to the colors in front of me. Welcome to Nerdy Show, a weekly podcast dedicated to every facet of nerddom, from comics and video games to science and technology. If it's geeky, we've got it covered. Hi, I'm Cap. Hi, I'm John. Hi, I'm Jess. Hey, I'm Doug. And this episode is a science and technology episode. We had a big absence of sci-tech topics a while back, but lately we've been making up for lost time. There's more sci-tech in the future, and we've seen the results of our Nerdy Show survey, and we know you want more, we want more, so here we are. We're doing a sci-tech episode. This episode comes on the heels of a couple other SciTech-related shows. We talked with Jeffrey Morris of Future Dude, a transmedia company dedicated to making inspiring, hard science fiction. And in our last episode, Giant Robot Gladiators, we interviewed the guys behind Megabots. They built a 15-foot fighting robot machine piloted by humans and challenged Japan's human-piloted robot machine to a battle, which is going to happen next year. If that sounds really cool to you, it's exactly as cool as you think, possibly even cooler. We'll link to where you can hear both those shows on this episode's page. But, you know, that's a human-piloted robot. And from a science and technology angle, for all you familiar with how we do SciTech episodes, and how deep into the science fiction future present we sometimes get, well, there's a whole other conversation to be had about robotics. And a lot of big things happening with robotics, automation, and artificial intelligence right now that point to any number of sci-fi futures sprawling out before us in all the possible timelines of where this wiggly worm could go. So we're going to talk about robotics and automation in this episode. Everyone's interested in the future because that's where we're going to spend the rest of our lives. (laughs) (laughs) Some may know I used to work at a robotics company. And as part of my jobs, I would sometimes go to local schools and do presentations because, you know, kids and getting them interested in technology is cool. But I was giving this presentation and I was showing them the robots and I was like, so what do you guys know about robotics already? You know, just to sort of start the conversation. And there's this one smart ass kid in the back that raises his hand and he's like, my dad says that robots are taking jobs from hardworking Americans. And, you know, he has this like (laughs) sneer on his face that like, oh, I've got you pinned. (laughs) And all I can picture is just this guy's dad just like sitting at home, South Park style. (laughs) <laughs> like yelling at the TV and just being like, the robots took their germs. I mean, I guess that's something that we could start talking about and sort of what spawned this episode was people do say that and you talk about it. And there are robots that have replaced jobs in the past and will continue to keep replacing jobs. 
But that's not necessarily the worst thing that could happen to us as a people. The worst thing, of course, being Terminator. Right. Yeah, I was just about to say, the, the worst thing would be <laughs> robots taking the jobs of soldiers and then pointing the guns at us. Which, of course, there's a, a large group of people trying to make sure that that never happens. And then there's other people being like, this is ridiculous. This absolutely has to happen. It's, it, we it's are living anarchy. in a time where our most noted pop culture futurists are actively demanding that there be international sanctions against robot warriors. Stephen Hawking and Elon, Elon Musk. Musk, didn't they speak up recently about yeah, that? Yeah, they did. They yeah, came they out against problem. developing AI unrestricted and without any sense of uh, morals or ethics. Yeah, there's a whole open letter and you know petition that you can sign for whatever good that will do, but <laughs> you can put your name forward too. We all know it didn't work out so well with the Geth, so. <laughs> <laughs> it is a very strange time to be alive and we are on the precipice of something. You know, like 10 years ago, we were like, man, it's the 21st century. Where's all that shit we were supposed to get when futurists evaluated us 50 years ago and where we'd be? And then it was like a bottle that was just like corked and being shaken and all the carbonations just piling up. And now it's ready to actually like explode. We've got so much happening now out of nowhere. I mean, not really nowhere, but it was all built up and now it's coming out fast Sounds sexy. (laughs) It's both sexy and frightening, just like your first time. (laughs) It really has been one of those fun things where, like, you keep seeing all this stuff coming and coming, and then then randomly it actually starts materializing. Before, you keep hearing about this stuff and nothing ever happens. But now, today, there's a $25,000 robot that can actually pack a shipping container or move things from point A to point B, filling a role that would have been incredibly monotonous for a worker before, but like this one can actually work beside people. It's really, really nutty. And that particular one, I believe you're talking about the the Baxter unit, the Baxter and Sawyer units from Rethink Robotics. We'll link to them on this episode's page. Those guys, they're making, by industry standards, affordable robots that look like weird cartoons. They're like brightly colored. They got this tablet face on and Baxter's got like these eyelids that make him look like he's high. And (laughs) just a pair of eyes on a tablet watching. Well, yeah, watching. And then also they're done with some kind of like a like a camera thing. So it'll actually like look at what it's doing, even though it doesn't really need to. But the cartoon eyes will. It's really weird. The reason for that, they claim, is so that you actually know where he's going to move next. In other words, he'll look towards the direction where he's about to reach. That makes sense. And it was odd. He's actually made, I say he, but this robot named Baxter is made to work alongside humans in an integrated workforce. Instead of inside a cage, keeping it and humans away from each other, because there was just a worker killed like within the last month that way. Oh, servicing the robot and then just bam, dead. And that's all there was, right? (laughs) Robosex is dangerous, guys. Be careful when you service robots. They're more powerful than we are. I feel like all this has come into the public conscious recently, and I think, if I remember correctly, even Baxter was mentioned in that YouTube short documentary done by the channel CGP Grey. They did one called Humans Need Not Apply. Have you guys seen this? No. No. John, you gotta have seen this. <laughs> You'd be amazed at what I see or don't see. <laughs> Over five million people have watched this video. No, none of us. Not me. Watched. I'm all not right. one of them. I read a book instead. Okay. <laughs> It'll be tough to try and encapsulate everything in this little short documentary, but basically he's talking about how the robots are coming for our jobs and like really nobody's safe. But it's not really a downer. It's really more of just like, well, look at the possibility and we need to start thinking now about how society is going to change. 
one of the biggest employers in the United States is transportation companies, whether you drive a bus, you know, a taxi, semi truck that delivers goods anywhere all over the United States. Truckers and and even the storage places are already becoming incredibly automated. I spent an entire afternoon just watching these YouTube videos of these incredible systems all across the world of indexing and storing hundreds of tons of shit a day, you know, just like nothing. And with the self-driving car within sight on the horizon, what's going to happen when Mir's taxi service or Uber or whatever suddenly says, you know, what can we do to save money? Well, how about we get a self-driving car that can work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, never take a break, only to refuel, but a human has to do that anyway, and it never gets tired, it never makes a mistake, and we don't have to pay it, you know? So every major company is going to be drawn to this. What are you going to do with these millions and millions of people who suddenly find themselves unemployed due to no fault of their own? Right. And if I'm not mistaken, that entire area of occupational work is like top 10. I think it's like 10 or 11 in the U.S. for employment. I don't think we even necessarily need to stop there. If self-driving cars become a thing and the allure of Uber is, oh, I can take a ride. I don't have to drive anywhere. If your car that you own is self-driving, why do you suddenly need Uber as a service? Well, and if then, you can't afford a car, like you could still afford a taxi service. Like if you live in New York, you're not going to buy a car. You know, sure. you're going to hop into an Uber or you're going to get on the subway. Or nobody will own cars ever because they can just call up one and it'll just appear out of nowhere because they're just kept floating around practically, right? Yeah. It's one of those things. Ownership becomes kind of a really weird thing if you can actually summon a car very, very quickly. Of course, you know, with Amazon, why are you even leaving your house? Our video technology is all saved in the cloud. We don't need cars anymore. And there's already too many people on the planet, so living spaces might get smaller. The whole human existence might get considerably more compartmentalized and will be easier, hypothetically. But it does become a a very, very curious thing. I mean, just this last month, a company came out with a uh, machine capable of turning out, what was it, 800 hamburgers an hour? Who needs 800 hamburgers an hour? McDonald's? (laughs) <laughs> they really do 800 an hour? Wimpy from Popeye and Jughead from Archie most assuredly <laughs> exactly. need this technology. <laughs> and if there was one for chili dogs, certain hedgehog who's way past cool, he needs his chili dogs, man. I want to see the human robot face-off between that hot dog eating champion and a hot dog making machine. <laughs> sort of like John Henry versus the, the steel driving machine. Can he eat them all before the robot makes them? Like, is he going to catch up to the robot? Is the robot going to just make too many before he quits? But of course, the whole point here, going over to sort of a political side of it, is there was this big thing recently where it came to light that McDonald's had actually been telling their employees how to basically use welfare correctly because they weren't paying them enough to live. There's a lot of jobs that people work that they can't get out of poverty by doing. Um, And then McDonald's responded by testing out kiosks instead of cashiers. Exactly. Kiosks instead of cashiers. And if you had one of these hundred, I think it's like somewhere in the hundred thousand dollar range for like this, you know, hamburger factory. You know, we always knew that McDonald's could automate. They just haven't yet. But if there was a downturn or if they were actually forced to buy fifteen dollars an hour, they are going to cut out of their profits. Thinking about us as a society and how like instant gratification we've gotten. And I think that's really what actually is driving a lot of this automation and this need for getting robots to do things. If we didn't, you know, want, like, say, Amazon to deliver my paper towels within two days so I don't have to walk the two blocks to the grocery store to buy them myself, there wouldn't even be this need for robots to take people's jobs. True. But if you go into any Walmart or Home Depot, any of these major stores now, they're going to have the self-checkout aisle 
with one employee overlooking four to six different self-checkout things and they're saving money already. It's only a matter of time before they can perfect it. I mean, look how fast it's cropped up in the past couple of years. And it's fantastic because it gets me out of the grocery store faster. Yeah. And yeah, it's true. But back to the problem of what, what happens when you have too many people out of work. So if we say, okay, not just transportation people, but all the cashiers in America, not even all, let's just say a third of the cashiers. And that's the whole point. You only need yeah. a significant portion, not everybody, to exactly. basically have completely destroyed everything. So what is really going to have to change? Like the Humans Need Not Apply documentary speculates that it's society is going to have to change. And we're going to have to enter a possible post-resource economy or the um, like post-labor, though. Well, there still is labor, but it's done like all by robotics. But like, well, there's still resources, too. But standardized income. Like, right, right. This goes into standardized income. And it's like, well, who wants to just give money away to whatever? But it's like, but if we're living in a future where 15 years from now, we can send out a satellite to lasso uh, an asteroid made of gold and pull it close enough to the earth where we're mining this, it's like, well, suddenly gold's not valuable. Anything you want can suddenly just no longer oh, hold thank value. thank God I can finally replace all the wires in my entire house with gold. Actually, silver point, is a better conductor, if I'm not mistaken, but nonetheless. <laughs> but, but let's say we reach that point, and then it's like suddenly it's just no longer a thing. I mean, Thomas Edison, you know, love him or hate him, he had that quote of uh, he wants to make electricity so cheap that only the rich would burn candles. And although, as we know, Tesla kind of wanted to give it away for free and Edison wanted to make money off of it. But we may be reaching that point with other pieces of technology where it's just going to be throwaway stuff. Like, I mean, the technology you'd have in the computer chip you have in a greeting card that plays music. How many years ago would that have just blown someone's mind? But now we literally throw it away when we're done. At what point are we going to say, you know what, money's not important is really what I'm getting to. And of course, that creates a huge problem because where did you get the money from in the first place? How are you spending it? Like, you know, there still winds up being that, but I need to eat problem. Exactly. Looking at it from sort of like the other side, efficiency, right? Like the real reason for automation, of course, ultimately comes down to efficiency. But if you actually become so efficient that you effectively nobody really has to actually work to meet the needs of the entire population, especially if, you know, you kept the population in check, you didn't grow it too far. You know, you kept up with replacement, which is something like 2.3 kids per family or something to make up for deaths and single replacement. You like know, China. Right. But yeah, no. And so like you've had this huge separation. Of course, the Jetsons had basically said like, OK, well, you know, you're only going to have to work for a couple hours one day a week pressing a freaking button or something, you know. And there was a reason why they had actually sort of suggested that because they knew that efficiency was increasing over time. And so as a result, they figured, oh, well, people just have to work less. So then they'd have all this spare time, et cetera. But that never happened. Instead, we're working as much or more than before. Where the hell is it all going? Where is all this added efficiency, added value to the economy evaporating to? To the 1%. Exactly. I think on the topics of jobs and how society is going to change, there will be a number of things that we need to look at differently. Education obviously being one of them. Because I think even as we move to a world where maybe everything is automated, we as humans are going to want something else, you know, something more, something different. And unless we do develop this artificial intelligence that can think exactly like a human to program and to create these new uses for robotics that we will want in this future time, we're still going to need people to create and innovate. But again, that could then be that 1% that the economy trickles upwards to. There's a quote that I really like that's in a Frankie Goes to Hollywood song. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's from their second record, which is the one that no one knows, called Liverpool, which is actually kind of a concept record about Liverpool, which is an industrial town and has a lot of working class people. And uh, there's a spoken piece at the end of a song called Lunar Bay, which says, In the coming age of automation, man for the first time will be forced to confront himself with the true spiritual problems of living. Isn't that exactly why Starfleet? Yeah. So then we get to mm-hmm. Star Trek and their post-scarcity economy, which I suppose, depending on who you talk to, could be the natural byproduct of an automated age. <laughs> when nobody has to work for anything, but as a result, there's still people around. It's, it's kind of funny, like in a way, automation is effectively working humans out of society. You know what I mean? Like out competing humans out of its own society that they started in the first place. It's a very strange thing. But then what are the robots working for? I mean, but there's you know? also still human roles in there, right? I mean, there's still a doctor, and granted, she uses technology and replicators to fix people, but she's still making the calls on what needs to be replaced. Well, until they invent the EMH, and then... Which, of course, they did. <laughs> <laughs> the emergency medical hologram, I should point out, which, for some reason, was not meant to be left on for the duration of... You know, it was, he was an emergency medical hologram, but he was clearly, as proven by the did their doctor actually get killed, or did they not even have one? <laughs> Here's the way Voyager worked. Here's the inciting incident. They were just doing, like, a test yeah. lap. They were the just skeleton crew, yeah. test flyer, they, 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 whatever, they, and they then were, they get attacked or yeah, something. They, they, were like, just, they were just doing a lap, got attacked by space pirates, and were chucked out to the uh, Delta Quadrant. So <laughs> Something that always bugged me about Voyager was the fact that the doctor was just a computer. Like, I don't trust it. And in fact, this is something that they've actually done tests on that the human interaction with a living doctor, patients will do better, even if you give them the same treatment, just by the simple act of touch, like the act of touching another human being, even if it's just to put a hand on a shoulder when they're looking down your throat to see if you got strep throat, if they're looking in your eye, like that has an untold effect on how well you're going to recover. And also, I mean, during surgeries, doctors have to make snap decisions if something goes wrong. They have the surgery robots like Da Vinci, which can, you know, do routine surgeries like removing an appendix or tonsils or something. But I mean, for still really complicated things where anything can go wrong, a doctor's sort of sense of, okay, I need to stop the bleeding here and triage this area really can't be replaced unless we create the AI that thinks like a human. Can't program good instinct. I I would argue that (laughs) it's actually one of those... um, illogical kind of things, really, because at the end of the day, well, what if you just completely routed around the problem entirely? What if every single person had, instead of an appendix, let's say, a bunch of nanites in them or something that just went in, repaired it, etc.? I mean, we could very easily dodge it that way. In addition to that, people generally have a body and the veins are roughly in the same place. I mean, are we talking uh, about that's trauma That's when I go get blood. They don't tell me that. Well, of course, right? But I guess my point is, is when a robot is deployed to a specific area, it is honed to that purpose. And there's also expert systems. Instead of it basically being bottom of the class that still pass kind of a thing, it's trained by expert world-class surgeons to do the job as best as it can. And as for the bedside manner and uh, improvement of patients and that kind of thing, there's a lot of stuff going on there. I guess what I'm saying is if it looks like a person and it acts like a person and it's giving you incredible medical treatment, then maybe you'll trust the robot more than you would your own doctor because he's a crazy and he keeps talking to you about his fish. Well, or you'll already feel like that artificial intelligence is a person because you'll already be used to living with and around artificial intelligence that may or may not demand personhood. And if we're going back to Voyager, I mean, that was a frequent, <laughs> <laughs> that was a frequent deal on that show. 
the doctor's program got so built up at one point, if I remember correctly, because this was years ago, they had to change around how they were storing the memory because he basically evolved into a full person instead of being an AI. He was not meant to be left on that long. What was it they had to do? They started having to like limit the amount of the, the holodeck or something and basically using a shit ton of it to process his neuron-like structure or something like crazy? I, I saw it when it aired. <laughs> so yeah. that's a long time ago. I could have sworn they were having to do something nutty like that, though, basically using it to offload some of his processing but, time. But let's talk about the post-scarcity economy of Star Trek, because it's one of the only things in pop culture that's ever shown us that world, because it's sort of a conflict-free world where the only issue is interplanetary diplomacy. Because and this Earth, is America. Earth itself is a utopia, therefore there are almost no stories set there. A lot has changed in the past 300 years. People are no longer obsessed with the accumulation of things. We've eliminated hunger, want, the need for possessions. Then what's the challenge? The challenge, Mr. Offenhouse, is to improve yourself, to enrich yourself. We've grown out of our infancy. Enjoy it. To me, it's idyllic, obviously, but I mean, how great would it be when the only thing you have to do is explore and find new things? That just would be amazing. But I mean, how realistic? I guess noble pursuits, pursuits for betterment, creative pursuits, those are really the core of what's left for humanity. But the problem with this equation here is that speaking as someone who does creative stuff for a living, I mean, I'm like, well, that sounds great to me. I would love to not have to worry about anything else and just do what I do best. Everyone should be able to just do what they do best. That's an ideal way to live. And ideally, you would be self-motivated enough to take the initiative to keep coming up with new things and exploring new ways of thinking and well, research I mean, Otherwise, and your life is just boring anyway. So like, there's no way to go but up, right? Right. Well, I, but, mean, I mean, unless you get into serious drugs or something, and then there's no way to go but down. <laughs> But, that, but that's my proclivity. That's why I'm not sure that I'm in a good position to talk about. Doesn't that actually elevate you to being basically a messenger from the future? Since you already essentially live something approximately towards well, that life. I know it's good for me. I just don't know that it's good for everybody else. I've heard people complaining recently. Where are the great geniuses of like of our time of art or of culture of anything? Like someone like Thoreau can go live in the woods for a few years and then write an amazing book about it. And we don't have any geniuses like that. Like we have people doing reality TV and everything else, but you know, there's no Da Vinci, there's no whatever. And there was a theory I'd heard that because people had more time in their day then, like you can go and I can't remember what website it was, but there's a website that lists, like it goes through all these old letters or journals of famous people. And whenever they describe their routine for the day, they'll have a chart that says Benjamin Franklin, his routine for the day was this. And it would say from eight to 10, he would do this and so on and so on and so on for all these famous people. But if you were to try to compare your life, like a modern person's life to that, you'd be like, well, I got to get up and I got to go to work. And you suddenly start to realize that your day, like the average day of like a middle class, let's just say American in this sense, because obviously in a third world country, it's entirely different. But you spend most of your day doing other things that you normally aren't like the higher pursuit that you might be interested in. But if you live in a post-scarcity economy where suddenly you don't have to go to work, I don't have to do with these other things. What interests me? What do I want to pursue? You can become the maven of that. You can become the expert of that. If you were interested in marine biology, well, then there's really nothing stopping you from going somewhere. And you would say, oh, well, that's, that's the way it is now. If you want to be a marine biologist, there's nothing stopping you from going. It's like, well, the money, you know, I can't afford to go to school. It's expensive and, to be a marine know, biologist. To, yeah. But yeah. And there are, there are literally no jobs. <laughs> it's true. Right. My but, sister's but, trying to do that. 
Oh God, I'm so sorry. I'm so so sorry. <laughs> but in a post scarcity economy, it's not a job. It's, it's your hobby. But then, okay, so <laughs> I'm just trying to be devil's advocate for why the future could mean that anybody can be a marine biologist if they want to be. Somebody is going to try to communicate with dolphins, and that's all they're doing with their life. So they figure out how to communicate with dolphins, and then we just need more marine biologists to be dolphin ambassadors. And then we have to do, you know, human dolphin reprimations for all the things we've done and all the dolphins butchered over in Japan. Well, well what about the don't tell them about the whales people here? I mean, maybe it's just a quid pro quo. Well, I mean, hopefully they'll only settle for some squid pro quo then. <laughs> <laughs> but when you're trying to improve the quality of your own life by following something that you are interested in and there is no monetary reward, you have nothing to lose. And the only thing you have to gain is your own happiness and you're pursuing what you want to pursue. Wouldn't other people benefit from that as well? Like if you are going to just say marine biologist because we're on the topic, wouldn't you meet with other people who are in that same field and together you work on something and you do crack the code so we can talk to dolphins? And the next thing you know, the whole world's like, holy shit, we can talk to dolphins now. I mean, this is going into the absurd, but I don't think that it is the absurd because the reality of it is, is the only thing that would keep us from doing that right now is having jobs, A, and then B, having the resources to actually go out and do that specifically. The the marine biologist model, for example, being if you're going to go talk to dolphins, you might possibly be needing a boat. And so then it winds up being an allocation of resource thing. But like, really, if you had all the time in the world, then you would do whatever the fuck you wanted. This goes back to, of course, education, because if you don't have an educated populace, that's my point is, does anybody read Aristotle anymore? Not really. Not unless they're yeah. forced to. A unless lot of you're people, interested and you don't have the time. Well, right. And so like, my main thing there is, though, is you look at like philosophers versus uh, sophists and like people don't even know about the great fights between the two. They don't appreciate that a hell of a lot of the arguments that they hear today is actually sophistic in nature, which is to say that it appeals to your emotions and not your logic. Philosophers were always the logical ones. Sophists were always the emotional ones. So any politician in the world is basically a sophist. They're almost never talking like straight to you. And if they are, they're probably crazy nutters, right? And so it's this entire game that they're playing with you. They aren't challenging you to be intelligent and to actually think. And for all of us to get together and work through these problems, they're just selling you a line. So what if sort of on the the dumbing down of the populace, what if robots taking our jobs saves us from idiocracy? What if it creates idiocracy because there wasn't a supportive education? And God knows there's only been negatives towards that lately. Okay, well, yeah, Idiocracy is is an amazing film because it just gives that speculation on what would happen. it's also what we all secretly fear. I mean, true. I don't don't secretly fear that. I am outright outspoken about fearing that. Yeah, I definitely fear that. But from my personal experience, which doesn't amount for hardly anything, but education, when you pursue it yourself in a direction that you want to go, is almost addictive. I mean, take a look at something like the Khan Academy online. The goal of the Khan Academy is it wants to give you, if you can speak English, you deserve a college-level education for free. All you got to do is just watch these videos. It's a collective knowledge. So if we're living in this post-scarcity economy and you're like, well, why the hell would I want to learn to do anything when robots can just stuff my face like Wally? Like I could just float around and watch reality TV all day. But for the people who would try to learn a little bit of something, I kind of am the optimist in thinking that human beings naturally crave knowledge they naturally want answers they don't want to just consume mindlessly the reason why we're consuming so much now is because we don't have time for that like you know we don't have time to go back to school we don't have time to do these things but if you were sitting at home all day food delivered to your door amazon delivers everything to your door you don't have to worry about any of that 
you would get bored and even entertainment becomes boring after a while. Everything starts to sound the same. But if you expand your mind and pursue something you're interested in, it's a lifetime, you know? Yeah. And I mean, and imagine if education wasn't a means to an end, right? I mean, so education now is I go to college, I get a job, you know, I work for the next 40, 50 years. Slave. Right. But I mean, imagine if it was your parents aren't going to be, sorry, mom, dissuading you from doing the musical theater major because you won't make money. Imagine if you could just then follow your passions and study. We'll make that happen for you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The education system, at least in America and in most of the other industrialized nations, is based on the Industrial Revolution, preparing people for working at a factory. I mean, right down to the bells chiming to tell you when it's lunchtime, to tell you when it's time to move on to the next department. And it's, it's such an old, yeah, it's such an old, outdated <laughs> system that we're not ready for the future because we're still living in the past. The whole structure of how we learn and the actual progress of it is based in like the late 1800s when that structure was created. And it's evolved very little over uh, the last century. Which is basically ancient history at this point. <laughs> yeah. So we're not. Might as well go to gladiator school or something. Yeah. It's like they say. Well, I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. We're preparing people for jobs that don't even exist yet. We're preparing people for jobs that not only that don't even exist yet, but we're preparing people for jobs that existed 100 years ago and don't exist anymore because robots have already taken those jobs. And, you know, your whole thing about learning and that being very addictive and that kind of thing, like, That's actually the entire basis behind unschooling, which is a form of homeschooling where basically you facilitate a kid's natural interest that they have and basically use that as a stepping off point to, hey, but you really want to know all this other stuff, too, because it helps you know what you're interested in the first place. And they're like, oh, yeah, man, totally. Just shove it in my brain. Which in like, theory yeah. I think is great, but that could of be an course. easy tool for a lazy parent. <laughs> for well, just- no, no, that, that winds up being, of course, the problem with it all because homeschooling winds up being a trap. You can imagine a genius, let's say, doing it really, really well, and you could also imagine lunatics using it to really, really horrifically educate their child. Right. It's also <laughs> it's like an echo that. chamber. Like if you homeschool somebody, it can become an echo chamber of just whatever the parent wants that person to learn. But when you have right. like a, a public place, a public school – that you can go to and they just sort of encourage you to learn whatever you want. But they, but for the people who maybe don't have an answer or they're just not quite sure or they're not uh, you know encouraged enough, there's definitely lessons that can be taught. Like I, I can't – was it Iceland or Greenland or Sweden or where they kind of are doing that with an elementary school? The students come in and there are teachers there, but they're not there to – give lesson plans they're really just sort of there to ask questions that will encourage the students to ask more questions and then to investigate 
find their own answer to those questions. It's really like a Socratic method, right? You know, yeah, it's almost like they're leading degrees. them along. Yeah, and they're, they're kind barely. of starting that at a school here in San Francisco, alt school, sort of kind of doing the same, ask questions, figure out what you want to learn. Here's an iPad, use the internet and find it. <laughs> There's a recent example of this. Um, have you guys heard about that village in Ethiopia that was given a bunch of tablets? The one laptop per child program that they just go and give laptops and tablets to children in impoverished places. Have you, have you guys heard about this? I know uh, it exists, yeah. but I don't I know, know what yeah, the results the are. Yeah, we, we definitely all know about one laptop, although I don't know if we necessarily know about this individual And weirdly, no one's talking about one slap chop, which I really think has revolutionized <laughs> basically everything. You know, one lamb chop could also uh, could help most people. <laughs> no, they just sing that irritating song forever. It's, it's terrible. But one oh, slap chop, though, will shut that lamb chop right up. <laughs> uh, but basically, the one laptop per child program dropped off a bunch of tablets in this village, completely sealed shut with no instructions. And what I'm, what happened next will blow your mind. <laughs> um, like here. Uh, Sounds like a really bad ooh, idea, though. Like, we're just going to drop yeah. this stuff off. We aren't going to do the rest of the job. Well, it, it was an experiment. Like, this, this was an intentional experiment just to see what would happen. And, That's right. Um, the people in the third world are our playthings. I'm going to read you the quote from one of the representatives. This is what he said. He goes, we left the boxes in the village, closed, taped shut, no instruction, and no human being. I thought the kids would play with the boxes, but within four or five minutes, one kid not only opened the box, but found the on and off switch. He'd never seen an on and off switch before, but he powered it up. Within five days, they were using 47 apps per child per day. Within two weeks, they were singing ABC songs in English in the village. And within five months, they had hacked Android. Some idiot in our organization or in the media lab had disabled the camera on the tablet, and they found out that it had a camera, turned it on because they had hacked the Android software. This is <laughs> these are illiterate children. Illiterate children in Ethiopia are learning code. <laughs> Where did all the power even come from, right? I, I think that that's it's interesting. There's all these experiments that show that it is possible to empower people with the ability to just learn and they will. There's also these studies recently involving economies where people are simply given a universal income. And I'm sure there's counterpoints to these examples that I'm about to present, but it seems like this could be a very good thing. There's currently an experiment going on right now in Utrecht, a city in the Netherlands, where for a year they're going to give residents this universal, unconditional income. Roughly 300 people will be separated into three groups. First group is getting a monthly check ranging from $1,000 for an adult to $1,450 for a couple or family. And there's no rules or restrictions, and they'll continue to receive it even if they find a new job or another source of income. The second group is the same, but will face a certain set of rules and restrictions, I think revolving around jobs and so on. And then finally, there's the control group who simply get the benefits of the current welfare system in which low-income residents lose their benefits if they can't find a job. So, Utrecht's a very pretty city, too. I've been there. Oh, weird. Random fact of the day. Been to Utrecht. <laughs> there's been a lot of weird stuff with these programs. One argument was that nobody had actually done like a full city version. And as a result, these other ones hadn't worked. But if you did the whole city, then it would work because there's sort of like a force multiplier thing going on. Then, of course, there is the Canadian city where they pretty much did. What they had found there was is that the uh, rate of high school graduation went up a lot because, you know, if your friend drops out, then all of a sudden maybe you think about you dropping out. You know, people in the program overall weren't working quite as much as they used to, but it was young men continuing their education and 
mothers staying home with their children instead of working out. Yeah, in which this is home. you're talking about an experiment that happened in Manitoba in the 70s. And, yeah, in the 70s. And that was 30% of its population got a guaranteed low-level income, which they called a mincome. <laughs> <laughs> and it was under the constraint that anyone who worked had the benefit reduced by 50 cents for every dollar they earned. But during this time, during the program specifically, poverty was completely eliminated Public health improved, and then, yeah, the graduation rates went up, like John said. And the problem that actually happened was was that I think it was like the government basically changed, they defunded it. As a result, the actual scientific analysis never happened of the data. They just boxed it up and put it away, which happens way the fuck too much in science. We just built this new facility. Oh, we don't have any money to turn it on. Cough, cough, like seriously, the giant particle accelerator in Texas. We'll make it a prop in the next Star Trek movie. Oh, oh, right. But that's the bullshit about it. What are you doing? Oh, well, these programs all failed because you defunded them right at the end when they were actually going to pay off. Anyway, pet peeve. Yeah, no, I, I feel you. <laughs> There's other examples as well, more current ones. Uganda tried something similar. The people who got their funding, they got like 65% more likely to practice a skilled trade. And just because they worked an extra 17 hours on average compared to their like control group and like a 41% increase in their earnings four years later, indicating that the impact lasted. They did one in Kenya as well. And that's like huge. That's nonsense big. I mean, you know, you told a middle class guy that his income was going to go up 40%. They'd be like, hell yes, where do I sign up? Yeah, like, like and in Kenya, incomes were jumping 33% and the assets were going 58%. Hunger was reduced and their psychological well-being was evaluated as having increased a significant amount. So these are all relatively small, controlled situations. I know it can get out of control. It can get different. America, for example, is a big place with different regions where things just kind of happen differently. And of course, the boogeyman of the political world is socialism. And what does it mean? <laughs> socialism coming to take your jobs. Robots are socialists? Are they? Or are they actually the ultimate capitalist tool? It's hard to say, but I mean, in some ways, we've been extolling the virtues of socialism throughout this whole episode in a society where the global or countrywide governments help sustain the populace everything's based around people like not having to conventionally work in these like toiling kind of settings there's no menial tasks anymore is that not kind of a version of socialism but then really what it boils down to is that no extreme is ever a good idea everything is a little bit good and a little bit evil when there's an imbalance, that's when things get out of hand. But like, really, I mean, the, the whole funny part about this is, is when, you know, capitalism, all that stuff came out, the closest thing that they had to um, robots was literally like slavery. Right. You know, that was the only thing that even came close to it. But then you still had to feed and clothe, but, you know, which I guess you could technically equate to a, a maintenance cost in a roundabout kind of cold collected way. I guess my point is, though, is that what kind of a society can you create where there is this entire working class of robot, essentially, that is fulfilling the vast majority of all the jobs. Doesn't that then really humanize the humans and raise them up into being able to do what humans do well? Let the robots do what they do well, and then let people expand their minds and do the incredible things that they were always supposed to do. What was it the Founding Fathers had said? Something like, we are soldiers today so that our children will be farmers tomorrow so that their children will be artists. What happened to that founding father quote, right? Well, <laughs> you could say that. That, that about... isn't what I hear shouted at me from the street side with a bunch of people with crazy ass banners talking about how we need to kill everyone else. 
including half of our own population because reasons. Bottom line, we need education. We need to be able to re-educate a large amount of people. And we really need that minimum income thing because there is no way in fuck we're going to be able to re-educate 60-year-olds who don't have any savings in a timely enough fashion for it to be any sort of meaningful anything. Yeah, I've heard a lot of arguments for the uh, standardized uh, income. Like, okay, if we give everybody $1,000 a month, what if someone decides to go buy drugs with that money? I'm like, well, freaking let them. Like, <laughs> like yeah. let the let them They'll learn their money real away. Fast. Yeah, it's like when you give a child allowance. It's like, well, what if what you can't give your child allowance? What if they go buy bubble gum with that instead of investing in the stock market? It's and the like, other thing that I've heard, of course, is oh well, inflation, and they don't deserve it. And you know, like the thing about inflation is, is if you're actually getting it out of tax money, that isn't because you printed money and then gave it to somebody. That's when inflation happens. If you're actually getting it through tax money, then the amount of actual available cash is still the same. So that's a redistribution of wealth. All we really need to prove is just robots are actually coming for your job. Seriously, if you're working a monotonous job that you know is stupid, it's going to be replaced sooner than later. The other jobs above that will happen after. Basically, it'll just start marching along and the low jobs will all be taken and replaced by robots and then the higher and the higher and the higher until nobody needs to work anymore but you really need that political structure to make there not be a chaos apocalypse happen i mean it sounds bad it sounds like even if there is a silver lining things could actually get kind of bad at some point there could be an even more substantial divide in the classes and so on before ideally we would have a post-scarcity economy based on the robotics industry but it's hard to say we have to assume that the corporations are going to want to look out for people and some seem to want to and others don't it's entirely against their basic programming right they can't be pro people because they have to be pro investors and pro money all capitalism does is solves for a dollar sign it's not like there's a metric for human happiness included in that process of thinking wait 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 guys i thought corporations were people too i thought that was a whole thing Exactly. If we don't have freaking some sort of political change going on here, we are going to be in such absolute shit. Robot president's a great idea, except then he would enslave all the humans. Watson for president. Watson comes in there. He's all like, yo, why don't you mix macaroni with chocolate sauce? You went just where I was going to go with. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's the funny part. Recipes for all. (laughs) You get a recipe. You get a recipe. <laughs> the, the Isaac Asimov book, uh, iRobot, actually basically finishes with that story where essentially a robot who is completely outfitted to look like a human basically becomes president. <laughs> I um, didn't know and, that. And it, he close fist punches this guy in the face, but it, he manages to do that even though it disobeys the basic laws because it was like some sort of an elaborate trick that he manages to pull where he manages to work it out. Because like, what's really, really interesting about iRobot is no matter what situation happens, it always comes down to the three laws and some sort of a bizarre balancing act between them, causing a bug in the system, basically. Every single one. And it goes through all these completely separate stories in like almost a post-mortem analysis. So it's very, very weird. But yeah, no, that's the last one. It's basically like, and the president is now a robot and he led, you know, the freaking golden age, but nobody knew about it. Wow. All right, so we've covered a lot of crazy ground. We started with robots, and we ended up talking way more about economics than I don't think any of us expected to. What it sounds like we're saying is we need someone who's listening, who is working a job that they know is going to disappear in a few years, 
to go get educated now <laughs> and become a politician, just jump into it, get as educated as you can about it and fight for that change and dive into it headfirst before we're forced to deal with it. Because when we're forced to deal with it as a whole society, we're going to panic and not know what to do. But if we can meet it head on ahead of time, that may save a lot of heartache. It's weird because at first we were being optimistic and now I feel like things are not optimistic. I mean, the future is uncertain. It is unwritten. We do not know. So uh, I'm optimistic. I was trying to be inspirational in the sense that if you feel like you're doing a monotonous job and you don't know where your life is going, oh man, you could be the political John Connor that this, that this world needs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, ideally that would be inspirational. <laughs> but, but it's also like kind of, it's pretty daunting. Like, no, hey guy. I mean, he should just say John Connor. It's, yeah, that's, that's pretty, yeah, that's negative generally. He's who, positive, who it, but it's a John Connor of the future. What's negative about it is, is that it, it required a John Connor like, to yeah, do anything. Yeah. It's cool to be John Connor after he leaves his house and before the Terminator comes. When he's, <laughs> when he's stealing money and hanging out in the arcades, it's aces to be John Connor. But, but when he's at home with his shitty family, or when his mom comes back, and that's nice, but also she's scary, and so is the Terminator, that's bad. Being John Connor is not easy. So I'll, I'll take a stab at positivity. You know, technology is great. Robots are coming, and they're going to create amazing opportunities for us to just grow and explore as a species if we let them. So I think the bottom line is human race, don't fuck it up. That's it. Just don't, don't fuck it up. But of course, that in itself precludes human race as a unity. Don't fuck it up. Human race don't Don't fuck fuck it it up. But America, you know, go right ahead. Hopefully this episode and and the clusterfuck (laughs) therein has provided some kind of clarity for you. And if it has, please let us know. I'd be interested to know if it provided clarity because I don't know how that's possible. (laughs) We we might be able to, in fact, provide more clarity if you guys started a discussion with us about said subject. Because it's going to take a discussion to actually work through the incredible fuck mess between here and whatever the fuck results from this. That's true. And that's, I think, the real thing. Gotta, like, start the movement. The resistance now. We really got to come off this Terminator shit. We really do. There's no happy ending there ever. So, yeah. <laughs> I but saw that Batman one. You saw that Batman one. Yeah, yeah, we all, we all did. But uh, some of us wish we hadn't. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I, I guess if there's a message to this particular episode of Nerdy Show, it's like, let's keep talking about this. You can dodge the train if you see it coming. The future of robots and self-driving cars and the possibility of a future where our entire purpose is to simply be the best version of ourselves and do the stuff that we have the most natural inclinations to do, that sounds pretty great. But to get there, it's going to take a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, and uh, who knows with whatever future life extension whether or not we'll live to see it. We're definitely going to be a part of paving the way to that. Uh, in other sci-tech news, astronauts ate a salad from space, and um, fusion plants, very small and possibly a real thing. And also another one that's very large and also possibly a real thing. But this has been SciTech. Thank you for listening. If you want more SciTech, or if you want things other than SciTech, please let us know. Go to nerdyshow.com survey and tell us what is going to make your Nerdy Show dreams come true. It's a survey for the entire network, so you can tell us about your listening experience on our nerd music radio station, Nerdy FM, or any of the podcasts, or your reading experience on our articles and such. We have a short survey. And a long survey. The short one's about 10 minutes. And the long one, that's as long as you want it to be. We've got lots of fill-in-the-blank stuff that's optional. But the more you tell us, the better we can grow, the more cool things we can do. In other Nerdy Show news, 
And uh, this does pertain to you uh, SciTech fans out there. We have an all-new sci-fi series here on Nerdy Show. It's called Liberty Critical Research, and it is the first scripted audio drama on the Nerdy Show network. The series takes place in the colony city of Atreus, and uh, also the deadly expanse known as the Fringe. It's a territory that uh, is just outside this colony city, and the series follows a team as they go deep into this region on sort of an anthropological recon mission. You can find out more at nerdyshow.com liberty, and it's coming out every other week on Tuesdays. This is just the beginning for more of Nerdy Show's theatrical content. Of course, we're still developing Lightning Dogs as an audio play. You can find out more about Lightning Dogs at lightningdogs.com. But because we've got these scripted shows either out or on the way, and because we have our RPG audio dramas that everybody knows and loves, we've started a feed for just that kind of content. It's called Nerdy Show Theater. It's a home for our present and future RPG audio dramas like Dungeons and Doritos, Ghostbusters Resurrection, Pokeballs of Steelix, or our one-shots like Paranoia XP and Big Eyes Small Mouth, as well as stuff that is forthcoming, such as our long-awaited Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program, where we play the classic tabletop role-playing game, Call of Cthulhu, and that's coming out as an eight-part miniseries twice a week, starting in late September. Wicked Anime is working on a brand new RPG one-shot for the slightly sexy anime RPG Made, and we're deep into pre-production for the return of Ghostbusters Resurrection and Pokeballs. Lots of big and awesome changes coming for Nerdy Show, and you can subscribe to that on iTunes and SoundCloud and anywhere else you subscribe to Nerdy Show podcasts. Thanks to your generous contributions on Patreon, we've started being able to fund some of our satellite series to get them on their own schedules, and among them is State of the Empire, which you'll notice came out much faster on the road to the new Star Wars films, there's no way we cannot do quite a few of them. So uh, keep an eye out for new State of the Empires and also more Nerdy Show Book Club. And of course, if you like all this extra content, help us keep the fires lit by going to patreon.com slash nerdyshow and signing up. Our next goal is $1,000, and that's where we can 100% guarantee all these shows coming back on a regular schedule by virtue of paying editors to edit them and handle all this new content coming out. So take the survey at nerdyshow.com slash survey. Fund us on Patreon if you want more cool stuff. Shop via our Amazon links at nerdyshow.com slash Amazon. Anything you buy there through those links, a percentage of that goes back to Nerdy Show. It's as easy as buying what you were already going to buy. And also, of course, one of the biggest ways you can help is tell a friend. If you love Nerdy Show, then get all your friends and family into Nerdy Show. If you're listening to us, you must be pretty cool. So we got to form an alliance of cool people to get together educate ourselves on the possibilities of a robotic future and question mark, question mark, save the world, maybe? Seems legit. So you should totally do it. Thanks so much for listening. Bye, I'm Cap. Bye, I'm John. Bye, I'm Doug. Bye, I'm Jess. Taking us out, I'm excited to say, is a brand new track by the Proto Men. Yes, they've released their first single from the long-anticipated Act 3. These robots fight for good and we'll fight alongside them. The single's out right now as digital download, or you can pre-order the 10-inch vinyl at protomen.com. The lead track's called This City Made Us, but today, we're playing Hold Back the Night, the first track featuring lead vocals from The Gambler. This is The Protomen, and this is a track from Act 3. Shine. Now my heart was still till I've seen it. 
Thanks for listening to Nerdy Show. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes or like and follow us on SoundCloud. As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you to keep this and other shows on the Nerdy Show Network alive by telling a friend or funding the network via Patreon. Any size contribution gets you exclusive outtakes, episodes, and images from across the network, and there's even more perks available. Just head to patreon.com slash nerdyshow. To find out how you or your company can underwrite this or other Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com slash sponsorships. You can subscribe to Nerdy Show via iTunes and SoundCloud. Leave a comment, like and share, and follow Nerdy Show on all your favorite social networks. For more podcasts, articles, community forums, and other awesomeness, visit nerdyshow.com. If it's geeky, we got it covered. Star I'm Trek all, Utopia! I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm voting for whoever's going to get me a robot to drive my car and to stuff my face with food. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.